You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to this episode, episode 6 of Mission Possible, How Everyday Ordinary Christians, like you and me, can become world changers. What we're going to do in this episode is take a look from a distance, the overall look, at how churches rise, fall, and fall apart. How the Christian movement thrives, then wanes, then dies. And uh, it's, it's great to get a handle from looking at this from maybe 60,000 feet, if you will, to see the big picture because you and I, and anyone who really cares about the future of Christianity and our ability to reach people for Jesus, has got to be really concerned about the situation right now. So, we're going to talk about how Christianity and the spiritual movement in a church is organic. It's organic in the sense that it can be birthed, it can grow, it can age, it can wane, it can die. So, the situation in the United States, for example, is that about 50% of the people that are polled in research polls indicate that they affiliate with some religious institution. So only half of us at best are believers in Jesus Christ. Actually, it's probably a little less than that because when people answer a poll, they say they connect to a church, but in their mind, in their worldview, what it means is that they go to church maybe at Christmas for funerals and weddings. And so they're not really a vital part of a congregation, and they're not part of the movement that God can use to bring faith back into a nation. Well, this is a critical time in North America right now for both Canada and the United States. Uh, we have a classroom we can look at, a classroom of the future, and that classroom is in England. In the United Kingdom, there is a movement underway that precedes a movement here in the U.S. and maybe Canada also by about 20 years. So it's a classroom of the future. So what has happened is that things got so bad in Christian churches in England that hardly anybody was showing up for worship anymore. And maybe you know that from having visited there. If you go into any of the cathedrals on a Sunday morning, they're practically empty. There might be a handful of elderly people in a circle in this gigantic facility, this wonderful facility in terms of architecture, but a handful of people. And so the real essence of what it means to be the church 
which is about people, not buildings, is basically on its last leg. On the other hand, there are a scattering of churches throughout England that have become the beginning wave of a new renewal of the church, new life for the church. And uh, we make that trip every year and we take people with us. We've done that for now two decades. That movement continues to grow and expand and go deeper and learn more. And so we like to expose people to that. And I've talked about that many times. Wherever I go, I like to talk about that because a movement is sometimes better caught than taught. Lots of things are better caught than taught. I got interested in football, for example, because my dad was interested in football. And when I was in high school, some of my friends got involved in football. So I became involved in football. That's kind of how you catch it. It isn't an academic exercise. It's more caught than taught. And what we see over there is churches that have been revitalized and are more like the church of the New Testament than all the dying churches around them. And that gives us a hint. It's the hint of drift. Churches tend to drift. And for a long time, nobody notices. It's like a terminal illness that doesn't hurt. So nobody notices. Oh, there are little signs here and there but we tend to ignore them with the idea is our church was here before, it's here now, it'll be here forever, and that's absolutely historically wrong, incorrect. There is, even embedded in Scripture, signs of what we might call the biblical pattern of a roller coaster, and I've written about this in my book, who broke my church? And uh, just to summarize the roller coaster part of this, it's like a wave that's up high, then begins to lower. And that lowering part is identified as secularization that creeps into the church. Now, it's usually not obvious, it's just a slow festering departure from what it means to be church, what it means to do church, and it happens at all levels. It happens with individuals. It happens with small groups in the church. It happens with the way we worship. It happens with our decision-making. It happens with where we spend our time and effort, how we understand the mission of the church. It happens all over the place. But it's all very subtle, and it's very slow. I think the devil would have it that way, actually. So we reach a bottom of the roller coaster, and that is the depths of secularization. And the church basically is not as effective and powerful within itself, in the community, in the bigger geographical area, in the nation. And that definitely has an impact 
on the overhaul behavior and health of the nation. No question about it. And so things start to happen. The amount of crime, the, the, the amount of people that don't have a living faith in Jesus, don't have a compass to follow, don't also follow the law and lawlessness and problems and difficulties and tensions begin to rise. If this sounds familiar, check your pulse. You're awake. Your spiritual pulse is next. In this process, God does something with some people in the church who are believers. It is a God thing. Why some people get this holy infection and why some don't, I don't know. Who they are doesn't follow a specific pattern. They can be older people. They can be younger people. They can be single people. They can be married people. They can be involved people. They can be on the edge of involvement, not very active in the church. And we have a name for this. It's called holy discontent. They become discontent with the way things are in the church and the way things are with the church's lack of influence on the nation in all areas of influence. And this holy discontent is what people have. They're not the complainers that go around complaining about everything at the church. They wouldn't do that because it's holy discontent. So they love the church. They love Jesus. They love the Bible teaching. But they are increasingly uncomfortable with why doesn't this also impact our children, our grandchildren? Why does it impact more people? Why are we losing ground as a church, declining in membership? Why are we aging in membership? All of these are signs, and they don't impact everybody by any means. It starts small, but it starts with a few, and they have holy discontent. Well, to give the bigger picture signs of this, what happens is that as time goes on, if those people with holy discontent get some help in understanding what it means to be in the mission of God, the mission of the church, go therefore and make disciples of all people, all nations, all people, all the people in your community, be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, all those kind of teachings in the Bible, they continue to grow in number, and if they get some help, like these podcasts and this series, then God can do something in a church that is absolutely, unmistakably a spiritual miracle. And it's called an awakening, and it's happened many times. It's actually happened once very early in American history, but not since. An awakening is like a wake-up call. Oh, we should be on a mission. We should be people in mission. We should be reaching our community. Our community needs God. Our nation needs God. Our government needs God, more of God. The church is failing its mission. 
And that awakening is a wake-up call. And God has been waiting for that for a long time. And so he supports it and encourages it with people like you. And my whole life has been dedicated to that cause. And the holy discontent that leads to awakening, that leads to uh, what they call a revival, where there's exponential growth of the church, and a lot of people can't put their finger upon it, but it's just happening. And uh, right now in history, it's happening at major levels in a place called Ethiopia in northern Africa. And when it happens, it's spontaneous combustion of spirituality. People can't even figure out how it's happening. It's happening in so many ways, on so many levels, with so many people. It just begins to steamroll through the society and the culture. Now, when you're at the holy discontent level, you don't see the results yet. But you trust God for those results. But this isn't really anything new. If you look at First and Second Kings in the Old Testament and First and Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, there's this cyclical pattern, and it goes like this. It begins with everybody trusting God, and life is wonderful. There aren't, you know, it isn't without problems or challenges along the way, but it's really great, and God is honored, and people worship, and God is blessing the whole country. All is going well. Then what happens over time, there's an attrition of the faithful. More and more people are unbelievers. They fall away. And what happens as an obvious result is society declines. And if that sounds anywhere familiar to you, you've probably heard a newscast, at least one in the last five years. And when it gets scary which may very well be the times that we live in, God gets our attention. And what happens is people who kind of had a history of faith back in the day repent. And people who have no history with God become receptive for those people who repent. Now, the word repent just means turn around. It means get back with God, get back on track, get back on the highway to heaven. So they turn toward God in this repentance, and that's the end of the bottom of the roller coaster. And that's the pattern that we see. So the next thing that God does, because now people are a little more receptive, is among some, and who he chooses is up to him, God And the Holy Spirit, like the wind, blows where he wants. Certain people in the church have a wake-up call with holy discontent. So, this begins an awakening in the whole church, but it takes time. But the Holy Spirit is working, probably in you. I know he's working in Church Doctor Ministries. And the people we work with, because they wouldn't want our help, people wouldn't listen to this podcast unless they were receptive and somehow touched with this power of God 
for the wake-up call. So the Holy Spirit uses this holy discontent, this spiritual restlessness. Now, there are many people that have studied the concept of change. And it's a classic paradigm that says that change begins, positive change begins, with people who are early adopters. And they're not a very big percentage of the people. That's why when we work with a church to help them toward an awakening, we just go with the people that are ready now. This is no top-down kind of a thing that you preach from the pulpit and put up posters and have a big program that you sprinkle all over the people in the congregation because it doesn't work. They're not ready. It's trying to feed a bunch of people that aren't hungry, spiritually speaking. But some people are. So you start with those, the early adopters. Those early adopters then have influence, relational influence, through relationships on other people in the church. And they're a very large group. So the early adopters are a small group. They're the pioneers. But eventually, without a program, without fanfare, without pushing anybody, without preaching in anybody, without making anybody feel guilty, just relationally their enthusiasm, by the way, the word enthusiasm is the words in Greek, in Godism, their enthusiasm is contagious. And some of the middle adopters, the larger group, catch on. And then... The middle adopters have strong relationships with some of the people that are in another big group called the late adopters. And by the time that group is penetrated, just at the beginning, you begin to see the signs of a renewal and a revival. And of course, with any group, including the church, there are some never adopters and they just never catch on they may be fine believers in Jesus for themselves but they don't really have a heart or a passion for their neighbor for their relatives for their friends for people in their social network and they don't really care whether the church grows or not I've had people say to me as long as the church doesn't die before I'm buried. I want to be buried from my church. Well, that's a never adopter because they're looking at things the wrong way. They're missing the mission. So these early adopters are people who are loyal to God and they're loyal to their church and they're loyal to their pastor. It's not like some kind of subterfuge. It's people that are not the complainers. They are not the consumer-oriented, immature Christians. They are loyal in worship, in regular Bible study, in service, in financial giving. And given the right equipping, they will share their faith, and they will always speak positively about their church. That's a litmus test for you and me. But at the beginning, these people are hidden. You have to raise the, the, the flag and give them an opportunity to respond 
and exercise their holy discontent, but they don't want to hurt the church. That's why they won't complain about the decline of their church, because they love the church, but it bothers them. They'll talk about it privately at home. So, an awakening in a church, then, and in numerous churches, it catches on, precedes a revival in the land. And this happened in the 1700s in America. It's called, to this day, the Great Awakening. You can read about it in history books if they haven't exercised it out. So, this is ahead of us about 20 years in England. And when we first started going to England 20 years ago, I couldn't identify very many signs of a coming revival of the roller coaster of people with holy discontent in America 20 years ago. Today, it's already started. What we've been praying for, what we've been predicting, has started. You may or may not be aware of that. That's not the way it works. It isn't a big fanfare. We don't gather people from all over the country who got this. God works through them in their own locations. But I tell you this, if you look at the whole landscape, we're seeing some major, major changes in a good amount of churches. Not the majority by any means. But it only takes some for it to catch on with others. It's like a forest fire, except this is a good thing. It's the fire of the Holy Spirit, and it touches people through people, and it crosses church boundaries, and then it changes, it, it crosses geographical boundaries. Part of this, though, is that it's changing from what the church was to what the church will become, refreshed, renewed. And so, if you looked at where the church is now, right in America, no matter who you are, if you're older in age, you should know that the door is closing on your father's church. What I mean by that is it will continue, but it's going to die. And if it doesn't die, it will be because it goes through some change. So every church, no matter where it's at, can be the seedbed for the future. Now, none of us can do this alone. I can't, you can't, uh, no pastor can. It takes a small group to start, to have the patience, to do diligence, to hang in there, to learn missions, to become missionaries, to be willing to go outside the church, and see their community as a destination, not the church building, ultimately with the idea that God will reach those people and that will change the community transformationally and transform the nation. If you have holy discontent, you are a high-value asset for Christianity. Whether you are a leader in church or not, if you're a leader, then you'll have more influence. But at this point, you have something to do with being the gatekeeper at a time of historical opportunity. 
Now, something else you should know. In terms of the change, the general change of the church, that has happened only one once every 500 years. So if you go out through the history of the church, people 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, or 400 years ago did not have this opportunity of a major change of the church. There can be incremental awakenings in between these 500-year periods, but when there's a revolutionary change, it's every 500 years. And we want to encourage you to realize that this is God's hand in history, and you are at the right time. The last time is called the Protestant Reformation. And about every 500 years, there's been a huge cleaning out of the attic of the church and a refreshment on a major scale with, in between those 500 periods, flashpoints of renewals here and there. Remember, you can't do this by yourself. If you could, things would change in churches all over the place. Proverbs 20:18 says, Form your purpose by asking for consultation, for direction, for help, for guidance, for learning. And then, Proverbs says, Then carry it out with all the help you can get. So let's talk about this a little bit. Unprecedented challenges bring unprecedented opportunities. That's the way life works. That's the way life in Christianity works. But to do this, you need some unprecedented strategies. So I want to share with you a little story that I find humorous, but it gets to the point. You can share this story with some others. It goes like this. One day, God was looking down at the churches all over North America and saw all those that were maintenance-oriented, not in mission. He decided to send an angel down to the churches all over North America to check it out. And when the angel returned, he told God, yeah, it's really bad. 95% of these churches are primarily maintenance-oriented. They're just creeping along, not growing very very strongly at all. And about 5%, the rest, are reaching lost people effectively. Well, God thought for a moment and said, well, maybe I better send down a second angel to get another opinion. So God called another angel and sent that one to the churches all over North America. And when that angel returned, he went to God and said, yes, it's true. The churches all over North America are plateaued and declining. About 95% are maintenance-oriented, but only 5% are really effectively reaching the lost. Well, God was not pleased. So while he was debating about what to do about the 95%, he decided to email the 5% of those effective churches that were reaching out and reaching people for Jesus to encourage him. So... He sent this email to them with a little positive encouragement to keep them going. Do you know what the email said? No? Yeah, the church I go to didn't get one either. <laughs> That's just a joke. So let's wind this particular episode up with 
some practical ways to recapture the New Testament church for this next era of history, which has already started. First of all, number one, you start with those who have holy discontent. Don't worry about the masses. Give the invitation, find the people that are ready, and realize that the Holy Spirit has prepared them. No one can force anybody into a renewal, mission-minded change of life. And then we organize them into an opportunity to learn and grow about missions. That's what these episodes are all about. And in the process, we teach what they call paradigm shifts. Paradigm shifts are major different ways of thinking. And these major different ways of thinking we're talking about are the thinking of the New Testament church. You can read about it in the New Testament. And then people are involved in a process. It's not a quick fix. It's not a program. It's not a one-day seminar. It's an ongoing process of change. However, as they grow and catch the biblical culture of missions, they will then think of others in the church who might be interested, and a second wave comes along, and this begins to grow momentum. So, what this is all about is this. It's reconstructing a biblical worldview of what the church is and what the church does. And as we continue in these series of podcasts, as we look at each episode, we're going to be adding more and more to the different issues connected with that. Sooner or later, you're going to realize that some reconstruction of the church will probably lead to some deconstruction as well. Deconstruction is just the word in Scripture, repentance. It's turning from what doesn't work to turning what God wants to do. So remember Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but let God transform you through a complete renewal of your mind. In our next episode, we'll begin with that issue of what are some of these basic reconstructive biblical issues that are keys to the way we behave as Christians and how we bring that behavior to a church that's going to reverse gears to mission, to reach our communities for Jesus Christ, one person at a time. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. Check out Kent Hunter's new book, Restoring Civility, Lessons from the Master, available at Amazon.com.